Welcome to the sermon podcast of Exodus Church, located in Belmont, North Carolina. For more information about our church and the many ways you can be involved, please go to our website at theexoduschurch.org or email us at info at theexoduschurch.org. My name is Nathan. I'm one of the pastors here. And if you would, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Jonah chapter 2. We're going to start just before chapter 2, but if you get there, we can get there in just a moment. I am honored to be one of the pastors here and grateful to be part of such a wonderful people. And this week, um, one of the things that made me so grateful and humbled to be part of you is seeing how uh, you guys participated in Exodus Kids Extreme. If you're new to Exodus, every year we do something that's very similar to Vacation Bible School, and we gather all the kids together for lessons and crafts and snacks and games. And this year, um, because of COVID, we had to do that on people's streets and in their homes. And so I saw pictures and saw my own kids enjoying time together with their friends um, that they had already been exposed to. And so I saw uh, parents also taking more ownership than ever before in training up their children and teaching God's word to them. And so I'm really, really grateful to be part of this people and really grateful for all of you who participated at home. Um, It made me so honored and humbled to be part of you this past week. Um, at the end of Exodus Kids Extreme, we got together in the parking lot for our family night, which normally would have happened at the park. And this year, for the first time, it was on our campus. And it was like one of those first moments where it felt like we're having normal interactions with each other. Not everyone was wearing a mask, some were, some weren't, but we were able to stand around and talk. And there was no, like, nothing that felt prohibited about it. And even the weather like <laughs> permitted for us to just stand out there and not be miserable. Um, and it was just great. It felt like such a gift. And so I'm, I'm thankful to God for what he did in this past week. And it reminded me of the very first year or one of the first years that we did Exodus Kids Extreme. Our theme was on the book of Jonah and I was leading music for that. And I got to lead music uh, singing all songs about Jonah. And so today... Um, or actually last week we started a sermon series in the book. This is week number two of five weeks when we're going to look at the story of Jonah and then more importantly, how God is revealing himself to us through this story. And I want to review the themes that I kind of laid out that you're going to see throughout the narrative of Jonah. um, And this is going to be on the screen. We see all throughout the book of Jonah, first of all, God's control. He is in complete control of all of nature. Um, and he demonstrates that over and over throughout the book. In this psalm that, that Jonah, Jonah prays today from the belly of the fish, he says again, it's your waves, it's your billows that cast over me. So he's, he's basically demonstrating again, God's in control of everything. The second thing we see is man's futility, that it is absolutely, whatever our efforts are to run from him, however we try to thwart God's plans, he's still going to accomplish his purposes in the world. There is no possible way for us to thwart God's plans because he is mightier. He's sovereign over everything. And then lastly, we see God's mercy, the mystery of God's mercy. And so last week I introduced those themes throughout the book. This week, we're going to see them demonstrated again in this Psalm of of Jonah. And so before we get there, just to kind of catch you up on the narrative, God has called to Jonah. He said, go. Jonah says, no. And then we saw Jonah's rebellion and what it looked like in rejecting God's purposes and specifically God's presence, trying to run from it. And then we saw God's pursuit. This week, we're going to spend our time looking at God's mercy towards Jonah, specifically in the depths of the sea. In this moment of crisis, God's going to bring Jonah to a point of crisis, rock bottom, as we call it in our culture. But he says, you've brought me to the roots of the mountains, which is another way of saying I'm at rock bottom here. Um, 
And I wanna ask you before we look at it, a couple of questions. Maybe you came to a point like that in your own life and that's what turned you towards the Lord. And so I wanna ask you, what did it look like for you to be turned towards God's mercy? Or if you're running today, if you feel specifically like, hey, I'm reluctant towards God and towards his ways, I wanna ask you to ponder before we look at Jonah, what would it take to bring you to a moment of crisis that would cause you to turn your heart towards the Lord? Because one of the most merciful and kind things that God could do for us is to bring us to the end of ourselves to bring us to a moment of crisis. Because moments of crisis throughout our lives, they have a way of sifting us. They bring about great clarity to us in the life of a believer, or maybe even if you're not a believer, it can bring a moment of clarity where you see where your faith is, what you're trusting in, where your hope is. It reveals what we really are hoping for. It reveals not only where our hope is, it reveals the futility of our own idols or or ways that we might be trusting in ourselves. And so if you want to see who someone really is, you have to watch them walk through crisis. Because in these moments of crisis, God points out not only how meaningless so much of our temporary pursuits are, but he also shows us how sufficient he is. And God in his mercy is bringing Jonah to a point where he believes his life is over. He's going to talk about it in this prayer, in this psalm. And it almost feels like we're at this collective point of crisis because even if you're not personally walking through crisis, you turn on the news and it feels like, oh my goodness, the world is like falling apart right now. And it's unnerving. It requires so much grace and patience with one another. And so I've had this question from the very beginning of this current crisis that we're in collectively. What is God doing? What's he up to? Because I know throughout history, he's about the work of making himself known to us, of glorifying himself. And so in this moment, I'm wondering that same question. And I'm asking you today, do you feel bewildered? Because a lot of moments I feel bewildered. Do you feel the the crux of this current crisis? Do you feel like there's something profoundly wrong or missing in the world's explanation of what's happening? Do you feel like something terrible is right around the corner? If you do, here's the comfort that I offer to you. God uses crisis in the life of his people as a way of sort of sifting out our personal lives and our culture to bring us to moments of clarity. And today we're going to look at him sifting Jonah in a specific story that holds these principles about God, about how Jesus is showing up in the middle of his moment of distress. And so we pick up the story of Jonah, and he's moved from one crisis to another. The winds have ceased, the storm has stopped, but Jonah, as we're going to find out, has been sinking down. He's certain at this point that he's a dead man, and God rescues him. And that's where we pick up the story in Jonah uh, chapter one. And and before I get into the narrative, I just want to show you where we're going. There's a psalm that we're about to kind of look at, and in it, we're going to see Jonah's distress. We're going to see Jonah's confession. And then lastly, we're going to see Jonah's praise being God himself. And so it starts Jonah chapter one, verse 17. Read it along with me. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, 
I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me, and all your waves and billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord." Verse 10, and the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we receive this as your word. I pray that in it, you would reveal who you are and how we might respond in a way that's appropriate to your glory. With faith and repentance, we bring ourselves humbly to you and ask for you to bring clarity to our own lives, that you'd show us how maybe we're running or or how we could repent today. And as I've prayed, I pray that you'd bring those that are specifically running from some type of obedience, that you'd, you'd turn them today through the story of Jonah. You'd bring uh, clarity to their own life through this narrative in Scripture. And I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So we're going to start by looking at Jonah's distress. In chapter 2, verse 1, he begins this prayer. And it's going it, to, just before we get into the content of the prayer, it has this cyclical pattern to it. It begins with summarizing here. I was in a moment of distress and God answered me and delivered me. And then he's going to continue his description of what was going on. He was sinking down. He sank down to the, to the bottom of the ocean, as it would seem. And there was weeds wrapped around his head. And in this moment, God had heard his prayer. So he's praying, he's voicing thanksgiving that God has saved him and he hasn't yet been delivered. Now, the other thing that I'd point out about his prayer is it is completely, it's so full of scripture. So much of Jonah's prayer here is, a, is him repeating from other Psalms how David had cried out in a moment of distress, how David had been saved from the pit. And so he's quoting all these different Psalms and his language is filled with you, truth. And yet he finds himself running from the Lord so sad that he knows all these things. And yet he's brought into this experience of having to learn the hard way what these things mean. And so we see that immediately he wasn't swallowed up by the fish. He's sinking down, down, down. And he describes it as he gets to the heart of the seas. The flood surrounded him. All God's waves and billows passed over him. He says, I'm driven away from God's sight. He's initially trying to run. And now he's come to the conclusion, no, I've been cast away from your sight. And he feels the danger of being cast away from God's sight. So initially he's running from God's presence. Now he's saying, hey, I cannot bear this separation from you. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me weeds are wrapped around my head. And as I said before, he's at rock bottom at the roots of the mountain. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. And finally, he's saying, my life was fainting away. So in this moment of crisis and distress, it brings great clarity to his futility. He's saying, I'm a dead man. I'm a dead dog. My life was gone. The picture is that Jonah is in distress and that he's acknowledging there is no other hope for me. He didn't have any hope except that God would save him. 
And here's what I want you to know before we move on, that crisis has a way of bringing us to points of distress that will bring an end to our running, bring an end to our resources, self-reliant. There's no ships. There's no life jackets. He's at the end of his own avoidance of God. And this crisis brings about an end to his own independence and rebellion. This sifting brought an end to his life, literally. He's saying, hey, I am at the precipice of death. So either he's having a near-death experience or he's saying, I was dead and God saved me. Now, I've already said it before, but one of the most merciful things that God can do for us is to bring us to a point of distress where everything that we've trusted in, everything that we've run from and to, all of our resources and self-reliance is ended. And when that happens, it has a way of changing who we are. Maybe you've experienced this as a Christian. Maybe you were personally running from Christ or from the truth or trying to make yourself numb to the reality of God. And God brought you to a point of distress. Maybe you're in a point right now. And I want to say that if you'll allow it, God will use these moments to transform who you are. Because it not only brings clarity about Jonah's uh, futility, it also brings clarity about his identity. And here's what I mean. In chapter one, there's four questions that the sailors ask him. They say, who, who are you? Where do you come from? What people are you part of? And what's your occupation? And he answers in verse uh, nine of chapter one, I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Now there's a way in which his, all of his actions was not demonstrating who he was saying that he is. Does someone who fear the Lord, do they really run in the opposite direction of him? So his profession with his mouth was, I fear the Lord. But his actions was saying, no, I'm going the opposite way. His profession was that he feared the Lord who made the sea and the dry land. And then in later in chapter two, when he says, it's your waves, it's your billows, there's a way that when you come and you've been swallowed up by the sea, there's, there's something that maybe you knew cognitively as true about God and what he's made, that suddenly you see, no, this is you, Lord. You possess all these things. So between he made the sea and the dry land and to chapter two where he says, your billows and waves have passed over me, there's a way that his identity is coming to clarity. Crisis has a way of doing that. It makes our professions of faith more real. And what I'm suggesting is that maybe Jonah had known God in the past but he was making himself real to him. The same you see in, in the story of Job at the end in chapter 42, where he says, my ears had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes have seen you. So this crisis brought clarity of his futility. It brought clarity of who he was, and it brought clarity of his hope. Look at verse seven. Jonah remembered the Lord. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. He remembered he remembered. So that's suggesting that there was a way in which he had forgotten the things that he knew to be true. God has a way of using these circumstances to help us to remember that everywhere else that we might fly will not work. And then he, he brings a clarity of hope in this remembrance. In verse four, it says, again, I'm going to look on your temple. Now he's still in the belly of the fish. I'm not sure exactly how he knew that this would happen for him, but he's saying, you heard my prayer in your holy temple. And again, I'm going to look on your temple. So crisis has this, it brings about clarity to us. It brings uh, in his distress, it brought this clarity of who he was, who his hope was, and how all of the things that he could do to run from God were futile. And so this crisis brings that about, about who he is, who God is, and how he's working. Maybe the clearest thing uh, 
the clearest moment for Jonah was this moment where he's in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, and he realizes and recognizes, my mouth had said these things, but now my heart is crying out, and his prayer is so personal. Like 24 times he uses personal language, I and me and you when he's talking to God. And I've prayed that for you today. You've been prayed for this morning. I prayed for everyone who, not by name, because I didn't know all your names, but I prayed that God would bring about, bring people into this space and into the hearing of his word where you would begin to see these three things, that the futi- there's futility in everything that you could run to for your hope and for redemption outside of God. I prayed that God would show you specifically how you're running. And I've prayed that you would remember that your hope is in God. Maybe you're running from God and you belong to him. And I've prayed that he would bring clarity about those things. And so maybe some of you are wondering how things are going to turn around and you're looking at your life and feeling the sinking feeling that sin has led you to places you didn't anticipate. God said to go and you said no. And he gave us a command, maybe you refused. And in this moment... Maybe God's bringing some circumstantial thing into your life right now that's showing you it will not work. And if it's not circumstances, hear my words pleading with you. It will not work. That moment came for Jonah and it brought hope. And with that hope in mind, let's look at Jonah's confession. Jonah first sees his personal responsibility in the circumstances he was in. Look at Jonah chapter 1, verse 12. He says, I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. So throughout chapter 1 and leading into this prayer, he's beginning to take responsibility. He's saying, hey, it is not well right now, and it's not well because I knew what I was supposed to do, and I've done the opposite of that thing. I know it's me that did wrong. It's not that everyone else around me did wrong. It's not the sailor's fault. It is my fault that I'm in this. True repentance for everyone who believes takes full responsibility for our circumstances, especially when it's a discipline and consequences of sin. So maybe you've never learned how to make an apology, but the first way that you make apology is you take full responsibility. It's not, I'm sorry that you feel that way. I'm sorry that my superior intellect has come to a different conclusion than you. It's, I'm sorry because I was wrong. And so the only way that we can receive God's mercy as a gift is that his mercy begins to lead us to take responsibility. And the second thing that Jonah sees in this is he sees God as a judge. And the only way for you to appreciate and hold gratitude for God's mercy is not only to see that you've sinned, but to see that you deserve God's justice and righteousness. Our sin is deserving of God's wrath. And when we acknowledge that, it makes God's grace beautiful and good. And so Jonah's understanding of God's mercy doesn't begin with his deliverance, but it begins with his acceptance that he's responsible and that God is judging him. Um, Until we understand those things, amazing grace will never be sweet to us. It will never, it's impossible to, to receive God's mercy as sweet to us. But God's mercy begins to show us not only that we're sinners, but that God's judgment is just. In Revelation 19, 1 and 2, it describes our future state. It describes this great cloud of witnesses singing. And and they're saying in a loud voice in Revelation 19, after this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. And what did they say? For his judgments are true and just. 
We have to come to a point where we're saying, yes, I believe that God's judgments are just. And eventually, even if we don't feel that way now in whatever crisis that you're in, eventually that will be our cry in the future when we're with Christ. We'll say, your judgments are just. J.I. Packer, who wrote this book, Knowing God, who is such an incredible man of God. Um, and, and I know God better because of him. In his book, Knowing God, he, he describes these four crucial truths that must, we have to embrace them in order to know God's grace in our lives. And he, he says, there's, I'm going to give them to you in Nathan's words, not his, but I borrowed the ideas from him. The first one is this, you've got to embrace the moral bankruptcy of man. We're taught that our problem all in the world is a system, it's socialization, it's mistakes of our parents, but we have to see and experience that we're fallen from God's image, we're rebels against God's rules, we're guilty and unclean in God's sight and fit for God's condemnation. And one of the evidences of God's grace in our lives is being able to embrace this reality that we're morally bankrupt. The second one is this, that God is judge, or in Packer's words, he's the, uh, the retrib retributive justice of God. See, that's why I put it in my own words. In contrast to the popular idea that anything wrong that you can ignore, God's probably ignoring it too, because it's just no big deal. God is not dismissive. He's holy and he, he's just. And, and because he's just, he cannot ignore anything that betrays his holiness. The third reality is that we're helpless. The spiritual impotence of man, we're unable to fix things. One of the ways that we profess this is in a hymn called Rock of Ages that we sing here. And I love this hymn. And it says in verse two, it's not the labors of my hands that can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. That's the third reality. We have to embrace that we cannot fix this. There's nothing that we can do to fix this situation that we're in. And the fourth one is that God is free. There's no way for God to owe us anything. It's free. So I want to ask you before we move on, have you gotten to a point of confession like Jonah's that saw his own responsibility, who saw God's righteous justice towards him and received it and gave thanks to him for his deliverance? If you're in distress at the end of yourself and you wonder, how did I come to this place? Uh, or maybe you're feeling the sinking of your own disobedience. It feels like you can barely breathe because of the consequences of your sin, the repercussions of your disobedience. Here's good news for you. First John 1 John 1.9 says this, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that leads to Jonah's praise. His praise came from a place of a contrite heart. In Psalm 51, it says, you don't delight in sacrifice or I'd give it to you. You will be pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a con broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. That is the work of God's mercy in our lives. We see these things. We're able to embrace these things and we're broken because of them. And so Jonah's praise is this declaration. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And so we begin to see throughout this psalm and his praise who God is in the passage. The main character is God, who's sovereign over the fish, the flood, the seas, the billows, and the waves. He's the God who sees Jonah in the darkest place. He's not absent from this moment in the story. Jonah is crying out with his voice from, and I can't even imagine what it must have sounded like from the pit of this belly's, uh, the, the belly of this fish. And he says with his voice, he cries out to him. And God is the God who hears. My prayer came to you. 
One of the mysteries of God's mercy is that he hears those of us who pray to him and cries off. They're not bouncing off the ceiling. That's good news. They're not bouncing off the belly of the fish. He's the God who delivers him from the fish. And in all of these things, in God's control and him revealing to Jonah his own futility, in all of them, God is demonstrating his mercy towards him. In verse 6, yet you brought up my life from the pit. It's not earned or deserved. It's just praised because Jonah's acknowledging that God's justice is right. And it led to this resolve that you see at the conclusion of his prayer and praise that every idol is worthless. If you pursue, look at verse eight, if you pursue, pursue worthless idols, you forfeit this grace that's been offered to you. It's fruitless. No matter how hard you cry out, they're not going to deliver. No, no matter how great your need, they're, not, they're just going to disappoint you. So imagine this with me. Jonah's covered in fish guts. And God says, I'm going to vomit you out onto the dry land after this prayer of thanksgiving. And God restores him to his call and purpose. Now, the conclusion is this, that God is using crisis. He's using moments of crisis right now to reveal things to us. And so I want to ask you this question as we conclude. What does your crisis reveal? Because if you're not in one, you probably will be in one or you walked through one. And in all those moments, they reveal to us what we already believe about God, about ourselves and about the world. They're revealing those things. And every faulty belief will be destroyed in those moments. And we as Christians should welcome it, pray through it and praise God for his deliverance before he's actually demonstrated his deliverance to us. Now, for me, I'm looking at the fish thinking, man, that is a really, that's a bad way to be delivered, you know? But for Jonah, sinking down, he saw the fish as God's mercy, and he's the first one to see it that way. I'm not sure what the, what, the, what the reasons are for this present moment that we find ourselves in collectively, but I know that God has purposes in them. So I'm asking you, what does your crisis reveal to you? What is it revealing? My hope is that even like Jonah from within the fish, we would be full of thankfulness for wherever we are, believing that when we endure, one day we will see him face to face in his holy temple. And we thank God now for our future deliverance because we believe God is still merciful and that he's still about the work of delivering. So maybe you're wondering, how can I be restored? Maybe you're thinking that you've out your day of grace. Maybe you believe there's no way for you to come home. And just like the prodigal who's trying to imagine some way that he could be a servant in the father's household instead of the son, here's what I want you to know. The best news of all is that Jesus made a way for us to be restored completely to his presence, to our purposes, to his call. He made a way. He's better than Jonah. And Jesus declared this while he was on this earth in his earthly ministry. He says this in Matthew chapter 12. He says, then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them saying, an evil and adulterous generation seeks a sign, but no sign will be given to accept the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. And so we with Jesus say, yes, something greater than Jonah is here. He's present. Just as Jonah was offered up 
When the storm of God's wrath, it calmed. Jesus offered up his life and those who trust in him are saved. Just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days, but was spit out onto the land, he brought the message of hope to the Ninevites. And Jesus died. And in the belly of the earth for three days, he rose again and he brought this message of hope. And some of you are in need of that kind of mercy today that you would bring you to this point of repentance and faith. You're running, deserving of God's wrath. And he took it on himself. We're sinking down and Jesus took the death that we deserved. We were dead and Jesus brought us from death to life. And that's what he offers. So what right do we have to experience such mercy? What right do we have? And you ever wondered that? Like, what right do I have to call out to you? And at the same time that we have no right at all to call out to God's mercy, he doesn't owe it to us. It's also true that we have every right because of Jesus. We have every right because of him. And there's this, there's this church in Nashville. Scott Sauls is a pastor. And he, and he borrowed this from another church where Ray Ortland is the pastor. And so every week when they lead into communion, they ask themselves these questions. They ask, what gives us the right to come here? It's going to be on the screen. This is what their liturgy that leads into communion. What gives us this right? Do you have any right? Yes, we have every right. What gives us this right? And this is how they respond together. We have this right because Jesus came not for the strong, but for the weak. Not for the righteous, but for sinners. Not for the self-sufficient, but for those who know they need rescue. To all who are weary and need rest. To all who mourn and long for comfort. To all who feel worthless and wonder if God even cares. To all who are weak and frail and desire strength. To all who sin and need a savior. Jesus welcomes into his circle, adopts into his family, and reserves a place at his table. For he is the mighty friend of sinners, the ally to his enemies, the defender of the indefensible, and the justifier of those who have no excuses Left And so maybe you're in one of those categories today. You have no more excuses for your running. You're in need of great grace. And this is the good news of God through Jonah's life, that we could raise up our voices that God is the God of salvation and that Jesus is so, so, so much greater than Jonah and that he welcomes us to his table. And I pray that we would know him in that way today and every day. Father, I pray right now, that as we receive these words from you, Lord, that you would welcome us. It feels both perplexing and just amazing. And so we, we say yes and amen. We receive it not because of our worth, but because of your sacrifice. Because of what you've done, we declare we have every right to come and enter in here. And I pray that we would live in that truth today and every day forward. Maybe there's those that are running from you. I pray that they would walk towards repentance. And I pray this in the Jesus' name. Amen.